you, Adam. Again, that's in uh, Bloomington, just up the road. So take advantage of this great opportunity. Uh, grab your bulletins real quickly. There's a lot happening in the life of our church. I, I think I say that every week because there's a lot happening in the life of our church every week. One thing I want to really highlight this morning, the, the elder recommendation process is ongoing. Ernie talked about VBS. The, the ladies' retreat that's right around the corner. But um, Jim Koontz is not with us today. His mother passed away on Tuesday evening after a very short battle with brain cancer. It was in late January that Margaret Koontz was diagnosed, and they told the family to expect uh, to have about nine months with her, and they ended up having less than two months. So the visitation is Monday night in Morton. The funeral is Tuesday. And what I want to make reference to on the very back of your bulletin is the FCC shuttle will be providing transportation should you want to go with us to either the visitation or the funeral. The shuttle is going to leave at 5.30 Monday night for the visitation, 9 a.m. Tuesday for the funeral. I would love to have a, a large group from our church go and uh, to bless their family. I'll tell you, when I lost my father a little over a year ago, I was blown away by how much love and encouragement and support I was able to gain from my First Christian Church family. So I would just challenge you to to do your best if you can to get there and to join us, uh, and that is tomorrow. You know, Dan, this isn't working. We didn't get it, so why don't you go ahead and just take it from there. Um, this next month, a lot is happening in the life of our church. Uh, next week is a final uh, sermon of B90X. We're going to be looking at James 3 and the tongue. Two weeks from today, Kent Hickerson will be preaching, and then we've got a couple of special services as we prepare for Easter for the first time in a long time, we're going to have a Monday Thursday service on the Thursday of Easter week. A lot of people have asked, what is that? That is a service that remembers the Last Supper, reenacts it. It also remembers a very important teaching by Jesus in John 13 to, to bless one another and to serve one another through the washing of one another's feet. Don't be worried. I'm not making you take off your tennis shoes and your socks that night, but it will be a very special service. And then on Friday the 22nd, our Community Good Friday service will take place here at FCC this year. And then Easter Sunday morning, uh, 8, 15, and 11, that is the Sunday every year where the most people come to church, here and probably every church. And I hope that even right now you're starting to invite people to join you. And again, that's just around the corner. And then don't forget the sermons are up and running. The blog is continuing, although I haven't blogged yet today. That's going to be my afternoon activity. But I've really enjoyed that. Uh, 83 straight days of writing something. I never thought I'd be able to say that, but it has been a great blessing. And we're really look, I really look forward to the comments, the people like Becky and Lori and, and others, Kenji and Tim and others have shared. So join us on the blog. Today we're going to do something that we really can't do justice to. We're going to try to study the book of Romans in 20 minutes. And that, that really is a difficult, difficult task. One of my professors at Lincoln, one of the great minds maybe ever in the Christian church, Church of Christ, is a guy by the name of Dr. James Strauss. I don't know if anybody here knows Dr. Strauss or not. But Dr. Strauss said something in a class one time that I, I didn't really believe could be true. So I went up to him afterwards and I asked him to repeat it to make sure that I heard it correctly. And here's what he said, every great revival in the history of the church has been birthed by study or preaching of the book of Romans. He said the book of Romans is chalked full of great, great teaching right up here on the righteousness of God. 
If someone were to come to me and say, Greg, I want to pour myself into one book of the New Testament for the next 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, I almost always say, go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a powerful, powerful book. And yet I tell you that it's the book of Romans that uh, we could spend four months on, not 25 minutes. So bear with me this morning as I try to give you a real quick preview of what God's Word has to say about sin and grace and life. How many of you remember Steve Howe? We're going to put his picture up on the screen for just a minute. Anybody remember Steve Howe? Steve Howe was a baseball player. He was actually Rookie of the Year in 1980. He pitched most of his career for either the Dodgers or the Yankees, two very, very successful baseball teams. He won a World Series with the Dodgers in 1981, but... He is really most famous, or maybe I ought to say infamous, not so much for what took place on the baseball field, but what? Anybody remember? He couldn't stay clean. He was suspended not once, not twice, but seven times because he could not avoid the use of illegal drugs. Cocaine was the drug that had a hold on him. And he is one of only two players up to this point in time, 1992. He was banned for life from baseball because of substance abuse. And he actually died about four and a half years ago. He's in an automobile accident. And you probably guessed it as they did his autopsy. They found illegal drugs in his system. And I look at him and I see someone that had it all and couldn't let go of that demon. He couldn't rid himself of that demon in his life. Next slide. Anybody know who that is? Who's that? It's Lucas. Remember the movie Lucas? I don't think anybody saw the movie Lucas except me, but this was one of my favorite movies growing up in 1986. It's the story about a kid that didn't really fit in and wanted to be on the football team. There's a picture on, on the, the, the front of the movie or DVD of, a, of, of a Corey Haim, the actor, trying to wear a football helmet. It's like two times too big. It's a great, great movie, but it's the movie that launched Corey Haynes' acting career. He went on to star in movies like Lost Boys and other movies. And in 1989, there was a, a reporter that did an article on Corey Haynes and said he was the most powerful and populated, popular teenager in the entire world in 1989. Corey Haynes had it all. He had fame. He made millions and millions of dollars. But if you've let, read his life story, you know that it was filled with great disappointment. It was filled with, uh, with, with many, many problems. He was arrested many times, filed for bankruptcy. And actually, just over a year ago, he also passed away. Several different drugs were in his system. He couldn't avoid drugs. He couldn't let it go. That was the demon in his life. As I think of Steve Howe, as I think of Corey Haim, as I think of many people, I'm reminded of that, that popular poem by Craig Massey. He writes, two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the one is blessed, the one I love, the one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. And so I start this morning with a quote. Don't put it up yet, Dane. Don't put it up. Go back. Here's the quote. I do not understand what I do. What a wretched man am I? And here's my question. Was that Steve Howe that said that? 
Was that Corey Haim that said that? Who, who was it that said that? Do you know? It's the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. He said, I don't understand what I do. What a wretched man am I. Paul goes even more in depth where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And he concludes in verse 24, what a wretched man am I. Who who was Paul, by the way? The greatest missionary ever. When did Paul write this? Late in his life. And let me just say this. If the greatest missionary in the history of the church is asking that question, what about you and me? Have you ever felt like the Apostle Paul? Have you ever connected with Romans chapter 7 and you looked at your life and you looked at maybe what you can't overcome, that area of your life or areas of your life that seem to hold you down and you feel like maybe you are Steve Howe or maybe you are Corey Haim and you can't let go and you can't get rid of it? Can anyone here connect with the Apostle Paul? I can And so this morning, real quickly, I want to look at what the book of Romans teaches us about sin and about grace and about life. What do we learn in Romans from about sin, about grace, and about life? Let's start with sin. Well, the truth about sin is this. If I were to give you a very simplistic definition of sin, here it is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. That's a very simplistic definition of sin, missing the mark. My wife is a math teacher. How many of you are in math class right now? Okay, If you're you're in math class and you go to math, and I don't know who you have for math, but you have 15 problems that you have to do, and you write down your problems, and you turn them into your teacher, nice Mrs. Taylor, and she gets her pen out, and it's red ink, she's either going to say the answer is right or the answer is wrong. Two plus two is what? Four. Four plus four is eight. If you write four plus four is nine, guess what? You're wrong. And the same thing is true in this this big umbrella of the righteousness of God. The same thing is true. The same principle is true. You either live for the Lord or you don't. You either hit the mark or you miss the mark. And the first scripture I want to throw out on the screen for you this morning is a, is a discouraging scripture in many ways. It's Romans 3.23, and it says that some have sinned and fall short of the goal. Is that, is that what it says? What's that say there? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to think right now. Who is the person in our culture? And that can be, you know, the culture of right around our area or maybe throughout our whole country or maybe throughout the whole world. Who's the best person that you can think of that comes to mind? The person that maybe has done the most goodwill work or maybe has preached the most. Who's someone that comes to mind? Someone who's just as good as good can be. Mother Teresa. That's a name that always comes up. And guess what? Mother Teresa sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And you know how I know it? I heard her talk about it. Who who else? Somebody else. Billy Graham. Billy Graham is the preacher that we always lean on. That's exactly right. And guess what? I've probably listened to 10 different Billy Graham sermons, and I think in almost every one I've heard him proclaim that he is a sinner, and he has missed the mark. Mother Teresa, 
Billy Graham, you and me, we've all sinned. We've missed the mark. We've fallen short of God's glory. Well, here's what you need to understand. Because of that, sin creates a separation from the Lord. If we let sin just kind of run rampant in our life and we do nothing with it and we're not worried about it and, well, I'm a good person and, you know, we live in the age of relativism and I'll be my own God and I'll be my own judge. If we do nothing with our sin, sin creates separation from the Lord. If you didn't get anything else from reading through the Old Testament, did you not see how over and over and over and over and over again sin led to a separation um, from God's people with God the Father over and over again. And Romans 6.23 starts off very discouraging. It says the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death because you're a sinner. Because I'm a sinner. If we don't do anything about that, it leads to death. If I stopped right now, Ernie just walked in in the back. If I just said, you know what, it's time for lunch, I'm hungry, my, my throat's scratchy, and I just said amen right now, this is a discouraging message. If we stopped right here, there's not a lot of hope. Sin is awful. We're all sinners, and sin leads to death. But the great thing about God's Word is that Paul didn't stop right here in the book of Romans. Verse 23, it said, uh, Romans 6, 23a, there's a second part of that. And that leads us to this talk about grace, this concept of grace. That's the second part of this message that I want you to understand today. What God's Word, what the book of Romans says about grace. Let's read on in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, sin creates a separation, and we don't like separation. Right now, my daughter is not in the state of Illinois. She is in the state of Florida right now with some friends, uh, doing kind of a spring break week. Um, sent me a picture. They were walking on the beach last night. It's 80 degrees. I've got a sweater on. It was 25 degrees when I walked inside right now. I'm envious. But, but we're separated. And I love to see my daughter every day, give her a hug, give her a pat on the back, tease her a little bit. I'm not going to be able to do that for a week because we are separated. But I know that there is a time that that separation will come to an end. When sin is out of control, that separation lasts forever. But God stepped in and said, you know what? I want to give you Becky. I want to give you Jim. I want to give you Tim. I want to give you Ernie a way out. I want to give you a solution to this sin problem. And here it is, the gift of God through eternal life, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me give you a, another definition of the word grace. If sin is missing the mark, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, that's not a perfect definition. It's an acrostic. It's trying to help you memorize that concept. But the point is this. Grace is the very best God can offer at no cost to you at Christ's expense. My sin has earned me death. That's what I deserve. But God stepped in and said, I've got a better idea. I'll give you life. Jesus will die in your place. Jesus will become the one time for all time sacrifice. Do you remember in the Old Testament, 
Every time there was sin or as the laws being set up and they're talking about if somebody sins, what always had to happen to atone for that sin? Do you remember? What had to happen? What? Blood, right? Blood had to be shed. An animal would die, whether it was a dove or a ram or a lamb or a goat or whatever it may be. Animal lovers would not have been digging that a whole lot. But the, the animal had to die. And what happened to that blood? It covered the sin. Beautiful symbolism. Uh, horrific, because blood is disgusting and gross. We cut ourselves and we're bleeding. We don't like that very much. But it's great symbolism that that blood covers the sin. Jesus Christ became that one time for all time sacrifice. His blood covers our sin. What's really cool about it is what we learn in this next scripture I want to share with you. Romans 5.8, it says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a picture of unconditional love. It's an unconditional promise. Um, I live in the world of conditional promises. I am employed by First Christian Church, as you know. And every two weeks, guess what? Jim Harold makes sure that I have a paycheck. If I just decided tomorrow, you know what? Forget this work ethic thing. You know what? Baseball season's coming. I'm moving to Wrigleyville. I'm going to live in Lincoln Park, and I'm going to you know, hang out at Murphy's, and I'm going to go to the game and just have a good time and watch the Cubs lose some more. Um, that paycheck would probably stop flowing after a while would be my guess. Some of you would say it should stop flowing after a while if you're not doing what you need to do in many ways. That's a conditional covenant that I have with the church. I will work for First Christian Church. They will pay a salary. And the really cool thing about this verse, the really cool thing about grace is that it's an unconditional covenant promise. See, if I was doing things, I think I would say, you know what, when you all get your lives together, when you decide to get serious about sin, when you decide to get serious about living for Jesus, then I'm going to let him go to the cross and die for you. But that's not what God did. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace is unmerited favor on your outlines. Grace is an undeserved blessing. You can't earn it. It's free, but it's not cheap. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, we talked about the truth about sin. We talked about the truth about grace. Let's talk about the truth about life. Well, life with Jesus really begins with a change. Think of the Apostle Paul. What was the Apostle Paul doing in the early parts of the book of Acts? He was murdering Christians. And he saw the light literally. And he went from the murderer of Christians, overseeing the deaths of many, to the preacher of the gospel, proclaiming the good news. And he literally went all over the world preaching that good news. My friend, that's a radical, radical change. I was reading this week about, let me get her name right, I messed this up in first service, Norma McCorvey. Anybody know who Norma McCorvey is? Any idea? You do know who she is, you just don't recognize her name. She's also known as Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade. She's the person that took the, um, the issue of abortion to the, to the Supreme Court and fought very hard to make abortion legal in the United States from like 1969 to 1972. And in doing so, uh, you know, our culture has been changed forever, I believe, in a very negative way. 
Well, what's really cool about her life is that today she is a pro-life advocate. She's someone that crisis pregnancy centers bring in to speak and talk about what a terrible decision that was back in the early 70s, about how important life is and how important every life is. Friends, that's a radical change. And so life with Jesus begins when we acknowledge a change is needed. Let me give you a couple scriptures quickly that I think articulate that well. In Romans 10, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now catch this. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's not just enough to talk about change. Change has to be something that's of the heart, on the inside, who you are in your innermost being. Life with Jesus does that. Romans 6 paints, a, I, I think, a beautiful illustration of Christian baptism, the change that takes place in Christian baptism. Paul says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The burying of the old, the resurrection of the new life to go and to serve. Life with Christ, with Jesus, begins with the change. Life with Jesus also should be transformational. That's the second thing I want you to see. It should be very transformational. And the best scripture that really comes to mind for that is the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he goes on and says, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. I highlighted a couple of those words because I want you to grab them. Too many people today, we want to conform. We want to be like everyone else. We don't want to be an oddball. I, I have a bad habit. And I have some friends that, um, that when they travel with me, it just drives them crazy. I, I wave at everybody as I'm driving. And some of you know that. I do. I'm just, I'm a waver. And my wife will say, who is that? And I'll say, I, I have no idea. Well, why are you waving at them then? It's a bad habit. I want to be different in ways like that. I hope that sometimes people say, I don't know who that guy is, but boy, it's nice to have somebody wave at me. Um, That's a silly illustration, but we are called to be different. Too many times we want to conform. We want to be just like everybody else. And when Jesus lives in your heart, when Jesus lives in your life, you are transformed and you are different. What would our community look like if we all grabbed this picture of transformation and we said, wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever relationship we're a part of, whatever problems come our way, we will live this transformed life. Can you imagine the impact? Can you imagine the difference we could make? Well, back to Romans 7. I don't know why I do what I do, Paul said. He said, what a wretched man am I. And you know, if you flip over to Romans chapter 8, it's almost like it's in a different book. You read Romans 7, and man, it is full of despair. 
and you turn to Romans chapter 8 and some of the most upbeat, positive, encouraging scriptures in all of the Bible are in Romans chapter 8. And I ask you this question this morning, this rhetorical question, how can Paul make that jump from despair to rejoice? How, how can he do that so quickly? I think I've got the answer. And I want to close this morning with just two verses from Romans chapter 8. Here they are. Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I think I would say it like this if I was him. If God is for us, who cares who is against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on. Here's where I think the answer lies. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Look at that last little fragment there. Jesus Christ is interceding for me. Jesus Christ is interceding for you. And so here's the point of this message. Here's the point of, of the book of Romans. Here's the point of the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. If you don't have Jesus, you have no hope. Now, that's not politically correct. Some people would say that's not very kind. Some people would say, how dare you? That's the truth of God's Word. If you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. But if you know Jesus, you will know hope. Now, here's my challenge for us. And it's not just a challenge for March 27th. It's not just a challenge for the rest of this week. It's a challenge for the next four weeks, the next 28 days. 28 days from now, if you're here, there will not be any empty spaces in these pews. I've seen it every year at Easter. This auditorium will be chalked full. And people that I don't even know will come to hear one sermon probably for the year. And I stand before you today and I make a commitment that over the next four weeks, I'm going to do everything in my power through the power of God to try to make John chapter 20, Jesus' encounter with Thomas, come to life in a way that maybe it never has before for your life and for their life. But here's where your part of the challenge comes into play. Invite your friends. Get those little in invitation cards that we have at the Welcome Center Start leaving them with a tip at the restaurant. Get, give them to your neighbor. Give them to your daughter or your son or your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or your coworker. Do everything you can in the next four weeks to tell the good news of Jesus and to invite people to come and hear the good news. I would love to have the fire marshal. I don't know if I'd really love this, but it would be pretty cool to have the fire marshal say, we can't get any more people in here all we can do. Friends, I want you to understand, and I'm almost done. It's almost lunchtime, but um, it's easy to just get compartmentalized in our life and just say, you know, that 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock Sunday morning thing, you know, it's good. We sing some songs. I give some money. I shake some hands. I drink a cup of coffee ahead of time and, and just to go on and just do life like we normally do. If that's all you're experiencing, man, you're missing out this is my life adventure. I'll never do anything else if I have any control over it. And I want it to be your life adventure as well. 
I want you to have such a passion in your heart for Jesus that everyone in your life knows that you're a Christ follower. So for these next four weeks, let's communicate this message. No hope, no Jesus. But if you know Jesus, you know hope. Let's pray. God, thanks for today and the chance to study together. And I thank you for the book of Romans. What a powerful book it is. And we just did like the the Cliff Notes version this morning, Father. But yet, even with that, there is so much power in your word. And it's my hope and my prayer that we as Christians will not keep this news to ourselves. That we will be your ambassadors. That we will step outside our comfort zone. That we will boldly share our faith, maybe like we never have before. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope he brings. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.